Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. Welcome to the Vineyard. It's good to worship together. And it's good to have all the students back, too. So in 1970, my boyfriend, Happy, had just graduated from the University of Illinois, and he was sent to Fort Polk, Louisiana, to do his National Guard training. I stayed behind to complete my U of I work, but he left me with his most prized possession, a beautiful, brand-new royal blue Camaro. Yeah, it was really gorgeous for a while. So (laughs) one night, (laughs) yeah, he'd barely driven it until he had to go away for six months. So one night I'm driving, I lived on campus at the Delta Gamma House, and I was driving on Green Street and to my waitressing job, which was across town, and I was late as usual. And I may have run a yellow, somewhat orange light and crash. You know the sound of a collision of metal hitting metal? If any of you have ever been, it's horrible. And it's really horrible when it's your boyfriend's brand new Camaro. Now thankfully, no one was hurt except the Camaro. And Happy was not happy, but he was happy enough (laughs) to marry me. And this Thursday, we will celebrate 48 years of mostly happy marriage. It's good, I know. Oh, and by the way, We drive a white Honda minivan. (laughs) Now, we've had lots of collisions since then. Not good in many ways, but this we do know. Our God is good. He heals. He redeems. He restores. And that is really good news, because in this series, Kingdom Collision, Seeing the World Anew, We are discussing the reality, the biblical truth, that there are actually two kingdoms in conflict. So we have the kingdom of God, which of course is our God, the one true God. His empowering presence that has come to earth. The Holy Spirit is here. We have authority. I mean, kingdom of God, the rule, the reign of our almighty God. But at the same time, There is another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and it is very real. There's Satan and demons and all sorts of evil forces and gods involved in that. Now, the good news, they are defeated but not departed, and we'll get to that later. Jesus is king. But it's important that we see the biblical picture because it actually changes how we live our life. And so today we're going to look at the biblical picture. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you as the teacher. We want eyes that see. We want scales to drop from our eyes. We want the veil to be lifted. We want to see. We want to see Jesus. We want to see the unseen realms. We we want to see. And so we welcome you. Open your word to us. Open our hearts. We want to leave here loving Jesus more, seeing him truly as Lord and as King. In his name we pray. Amen. 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 So the biblical picture is that spiritual beings are real, both in the heavens and on earth, and they interrelate in the middle also, we'll discover. 
And when you have your eyes open to the unseen realm, it can be quite a shock. It was for me. I've been a Christian for some time. I had no idea that the unseen realm existed. I had a vague idea about angels and God, but they were up there. Satan, I wasn't even sure like who he was or what he did. But when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, it was as though scales did fall off my eyes and I began to see, wow, there are spiritual beings all over the place. And I don't know how many of you have, you know, read the Bible, read it many times, and you didn't see something. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, how did I miss that? And so that's why we're asking the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to show us afresh what is the biblical picture. And these spiritual beings, they're often behind both the good and the evil in the world. So all the good, whether it's miracles or answered prayer, deliverances, you know, good things that happen love and peace and joy, but they're also behind the evil. There's evil forces behind the evil, whether that's on a societal level, you know, like poverty or racism, oppression, or it's on a more personal level, like ugly divorces, sexual immorality, tragic illnesses, teenage rebellion. There's forces behind all this, and it makes a difference how we deal with it. Let me tell you a story from our own life. When one of our four sons was 16, he's a great kid, worked in our lawn business, got decent grades, was an athlete. He was always, he, of course, he came to church, but he, he was always a great kid. But we noticed pretty suddenly, within a matter of a couple weeks, his behavior started to shift. He started lying to us. Then he started skipping class. His grades plummeted. He, engaged in minor vandalism, some drinking at the country club golf course. We're like, what is going on? And of course, we did all the things that you do, right? Remove privileges, have those stern talks, nothing worked. It just, it just didn't make sense. Well, one night, he came home late as usual, way past curfew, and I'm waiting up for him. And I get in his face and I go, what is going on with you? And it was then that I realized as I looked into his eyes, oh my goodness, I'm dealing with something far more sinister than just a teenager's bad choices. I knew I was dealing with a demonic force. Now, I wasn't scared. I did know this. I'm not going to handle this at one o'clock in the morning without my husband and without talking to God. Okay? Those aren't things that you mess with, but it, it's not scary. I knew, actually, that Jesus had given us authority over demons, and I knew demons were real. As a matter of fact, when I'm using the Passion Translation here. I'm going to just share with you a verse from Luke 10 where Jesus is instructing his disciples, and he said clearly in Luke 10, 19, I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over his Satan's kingdom. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. Absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. So I knew that truth. I believe that truth. But I knew that I needed to ask God, okay, how, how do we deal with this? And as I prayed about it the next day, the Lord said, yes, you, you are right. There is a spirit oppressing your son, and he has a name. The name is the spirit of the fool. Mike, I've never heard that. He goes, well, read your Bible. 
Read the entire uh, book of Proverbs. All over the place. The fool, the fool. One verse that captures it. The fool finds his fun in doing wrong. It's like, whoa. So, obviously, we knew what we had to do. And when you're dealing with something like this with a teenager, you get their cooperation. You know, maybe not a three-year-old or four-year-old, but, you know, so we sat him down. We shared with love. We, we shared our concern, and he, he was open. He was willing. And we had a, a very powerful prayer time, and we saw his behavior improve. Now, it wasn't a quick fix. It didn't happen suddenly. And this is my point. It did make a difference because we dealt with the problem on a spiritual, supernatural level, but we also had to come along and deal with it on a natural level. You know, we had to be there. New boundaries, consequences, conversations, prayer, Holy Spirit, fill him, angels surround him, the whole bit. And this isn't a lesson on child raising, but I'm, those of you who are in the middle of parenting, you know our kids are in a battle. Kingdom collisions are happening all over the place, and if we don't see the biblical picture, if we don't see it as God sees it, we won't know how to deal with it. Now, I'm the first to tell you, and if I didn't tell you, my five children would be sure to tell you, I made a ton of mistakes in this area. I, you know, I went way over here, and I said, no, you cannot watch Scooby-Doo. It's ghosts, you know. Or you can't watch Smurfs. They look like demons, or I don't know. I, they've all forgiven me, I think. <laughs> but, but this is my point. <laughs> These forces are real. I don't know, have you ever had like tough situations in your own life where you're like, wow, it's not being resolved on a natural level. It doesn't make sense. And maybe it's because your lens has only been that rational, empirical, materialistic, you know, platonic, you know, from Plato view of the world. And of course, it makes sense. That's our culture. We live in a university town, if you're in Champaign-Urbana. And I'm not disparaging that. I'm just saying that's what we live in. That's, you know, it's all, if we can't measure it, you know, if we can't see it, if we can't prove it scientifically, it's not real. And you can be held captive to that even as a Christian. You know, I've had Christians say to me, well, when I share with them this type of message or truth about the supernatural, well, no, we're evangelical. We just believe the Bible. Well, have you read this Bible? It's pretty supernatural. I mean, we serve a God who was born of a virgin, did miracle after miracle, got nailed to a cross, rose from the dead, ascended into the heavens, and is going to return someday and give us all brand new bodies to live with him forever. That sounds pretty supernatural, <laughs> right? So, again, I know I've been there. I've been stuck in that rationalistic, I've got to figure it out, I have to understand it. But it's not really a good place to be. And so that's why... We're saying, okay, Holy Spirit, what's the biblical view? Because I love what Putty said last week, and if you weren't here, and many of you wouldn't have been because you weren't here yet on campus, get the first message to this series uh, where Putty shared, you know, we need to read the Bible with the eyes of the biblical writers. No, not 21st century eyes. You know, we need, what did they see? What did they understand? And so that's a very powerful message, very important. And because we know 
There can be a lot of confusion and misunderstanding. This is a big topic. We've put together a little resource card, which is actually projected on the screen right now with that QR code, and you can just whip out your phone, take a picture of that, but we also have the cards when you leave the auditorium today. And we're highly recommending these sources. We've vetted them. They're scholarly. They're well done. And one of the things we'll be sharing in the messages are a series of videos from something called the Bible Project. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Bible Project. It's, you know, it's all over YouTube. They have a podcast. It's very, very well done. Do we agree with everything? No. I mean, like, get over it. We never agree with everything. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. You need him, you know, navigating what, what is truth and, you know, what's maybe a little bit off. So we highly recommend this uh, Bible Project videos, particularly in this whole series about spiritual beings. And so let's watch a little bit here. For most of human history, people have believed in some kind of spiritual realm that exists alongside the world as we know it. Right, and the biblical authors are no exception. Yeah, for them, the spiritual realm is a different kind of realm than ours. And to highlight that difference, the Bible refers to God's space as the sky or the heavens. Because the sky is really different from the land. It's above and beyond. And up there are shiny bodies that move around. I think of these as flaming gas balls. But when the biblical authors looked up, the stars gave them a way to talk and think about spiritual beings. In the Bible, they're called the sons of God, or the rulers and authorities, or even sometimes the divine council. So that sounds really important. What does the divine council do? Well, they're introduced in Genesis chapter 1, where they're called the host of heaven, that is, the sun, moon, and stars. And there, they're also called signs, meaning that their power and status symbolizes and points to God's power and status. Yeah, so in Genesis 1, God appoints them to rule over the day and night. Exactly. And then later in the Bible, we're told that they were celebrating God's power and creativity when he created the world. Like the cheering section of a game. Yeah, right. There are also stories in the Bible where God invites the divine council to participate in making a decision. But why does God need a team if he's powerful enough to create the whole universe? universe, he could surely rule it without any help. Well, he doesn't need them, but apparently the God of the Bible wants to share authority with others. Oh, right. God shares his rule with human partners on earth. And so in the same way, there's a parallel story of God sharing his authority to rule with spiritual partners. Yes. Okay, so there's a lot there. And again, I just commend you to do some other study, but let me just summarize a little bit. So we have an amazing God, don't we? The Father's original intention for all of us, we were made in his image, which is just incredible. And then he sends us to actually rule. He says, be fruitful, multiply, rule on the face of the earth. And not only that, we get to join with his heavenly staff team, which, yes, they're, they're called sun, moon, and stars. It's not that we worship them. It's the gods behind that, that those represent, as you will understand as you study this more. And so he welcomes us as a loving father into this major purpose that he has for a purpose for all of us. And then things go terribly wrong. Most of you are familiar with the Genesis 3 account of where we meet our first evil being, right? Satan tempting Adam and Eve. But what often is not understood is there were other rebellions. And we're going to look at a rebellion that happened at the Tower of Babel or Babylon, which involved not only earthly people trying to be like God, but an entire rebellion in the heavenlies. Let's watch. 
That is, until it all falls apart in a twin rebellion. So you have humans who want to rule on Earth on their own terms. So they start building their own nation using their own definitions of good and evil. Yeah, the famous story of the building of Babylon. But check this out. When biblical authors like Moses or Isaiah looked back at the origins of Babylon, they saw more than just a human rebellion, but also a spiritual rebellion. What was this spiritual rebellion? Well, there were members of the divine council who, like the humans, didn't want to represent God's authority anymore. They wanted to be God and they rebelled. And so these created beings deceived humans into worshiping them instead of the creator. And so Babylon becomes the biblical image for the combined human and spiritual rebellion. And so God scatters the people from Babylon into different nations. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says, this is when God also scattered the rebels of the divine council with them. So the nations are handed over to spiritual rulers. Yes, and this is why when the biblical prophets look out at the violent empires of their day, they see two dimensions to all the chaos and injustice. Human rebels who are being corrupted by the worship of spiritual rebels, the idol gods of money, sex, and military power. Yeah, when humans give their allegiance to these powers, it leads to a world like ours. Okay, so we have this twin rebellion where these people who were once part of God's divine council choose to rebel out of pride and desire to be in control, join with the humans, and there's a massive rebellion, ending up in these various gods, now rogue gods, taking over the various nations. And we see it recorded all throughout the Old Testament as people worship idols. Now, I don't know if you were taught, well, those aren't real. They don't have any power. Wrong. They might look like they have no power because they're wooden or they're gold or they're a king, you know, sitting on a throne like a pharaoh. But no, no, no. There's real evil forces behind that. All gone rogue and now determined, you know, to throw God's universe into chaos. Well, why does that matter for us? It matters for us because those same spiritual beings are still trolling the earth in the heavenlies, okay? Now, they are defeated, which we'll see in a moment, by the blood and power of Jesus. But they're defeated, but they haven't departed. And so that ups the game in our relationship of the one true God, who has said, have no other gods before me. You'd be like, well, I don't have any idols in my home. Remember when Jesus said, you can't serve two gods. You can't serve mammon, money. That's a god. There's a real god behind greed and desire for more and you know all of the exploitation of that. You can't serve both God and me, Jesus said. You can't. And in the same way, the gods of sex, the gods of power, there's, there's gods behind a lot of the evil in the world. And this makes a big difference then in, wow, you know, maybe we should think twice about how we live. You know, if we say we worship the one true God, can the evil forces tell that by how we act, what we say, what we do, our lifestyle? Because if they see that, well, they don't worship the true God, look at them, they gossip. They don't worship the true God. They're out having sex all over the place. They don't worship the true God. They hate people that don't look like them. Guess what? The enemy moves right on in because I want you to know disobedience is dangerous. And I don't mean that in a weird sort of way. 
I'm just saying it's real. Let me give you an illustration from my own life. So, uh, about, it's been quite a few years, because Happy and I had been married at that time about 25 uh, years. And, um, you know, I, um, I, I begin to worship <laughs> pride and uh, slander, which just means I'm engaging in those activities. I was mad at some of the people. They were like constantly needing prayer and help with their marriages. I'm like, get it together. Like, what is your problem? And so I kind of threw this temper tantrum. It lasted a couple weeks. And, and then it was almost as though, wow, within a few days, I found myself irresistibly attracted to another man. I'm like, what? Like, wait, no, I, we got this amazing marriage. No, I, I was irresistibly attracted. Now, if any of you have ever dealt with a demonic force in the sexual realm, you know what this is like. It's almost compulsive. It defies reason. You have, like, what am I thinking? I have five children. I'm a pastor of a church. I have so much to lose. You don't care. See, that's how deceptive these gods are. And I went immediately to my husband and I said, I don't know what's going on, but I, like, I, I am so attracted to this guy. Now, Hap, typical, goes, why? He's not even cute. Which, <laughs> like, anyway, we got past all that. But <laughs> anyway, this is the point. I knew there was an evil force behind it. And as, you know, I shared with Hap, brought that to the light. We talked to God about it, and God says, well, you really want to know what happened to I? I go, yeah. He said, you know, you just chose to, you know, slander other people, complain about other people, have pride in your heart. I just lifted my grace off your marriage. Now, let's see how you do it on your own. It's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry, Lord. Repent. It's, yes, forgive me, Lord. I need your presence. I need your power. I can't stay faithful on my own. Okay, so important that we see the biblical picture. Now, I don't want you, again, to get scared. I don't want you to think, oh, no, you know, is this going to get me? No, because now I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Because we need to see the biblical picture of what Jesus accomplished. And I want you to know, so much of what is taught, I believe, is just on this level, maybe a more intellectual level, where a relationship with Jesus is just presented as like a transaction where you believe, oh yeah, Jesus died, rose again, and if I believe that, one day I'm going to heaven. He took care of my sins. Yeah, that all happened. That's on a very transactional, mechanical level. I want you to know you need eyes to see what really happened because Jesus not only shed his blood and rose again so that you and I can have new life. He shed his blood and rose again to defeat every evil force in the universe. And that's important. It's extremely important to know that and to know that now he has authority, as he said, over all, whether it's in heaven and on earth. And he says, and I give it to you. Okay, let's read what the Apostle Paul says about this. So this is in the book of Ephesians, and we're encouraging people to... Uh, you know, do a fresh study of Ephesians in this series because it's so powerful about these truths of the biblical picture. And get my notes organized here. Uh, Ephesians 2, and I'm going to start now reading with verse 2. It wasn't that long ago, writes Paul, 
that you lived in the religion, customs, and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm. Did you get that? This isn't just, oh, I eat, drink, marry, you know, yeah, I might do a few things. No. Obeying the dark, earthly ruler who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. That's where all of us were, right? This wasn't just a simple, well, I'm kind of going my own selfish way, although we were. It's like, no, no, we were ensnared by other gods. We were walking in obedience to a dark, earthly ruler who has real power. But thankfully, (laughs) we needed help, and that's what Jesus brought. Let me continue. But God still loved us. He wasn't shaking his finger at us. He wasn't condemning us. No, it says he still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. And that's available for everyone who believes. See, you you can read that and say, I don't believe it. Oh, no, no, no. He loved us so much. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ. This is how we say it here at the vineyard. What Jesus did at the cross for us, you need to know, this isn't just a crucifixion. This isn't just a cleanup. He doesn't just clean you up a little bit. He crucifies you. You've been crucified with Christ. The old sinful nature is crucified with Christ. But he doesn't leave you there. He doesn't just now do some little repair. No, he resurrects you to live a brand new life as a clean, holy, righteous son or daughter of the living God, loved by him, sent by him to announce this good news to all the people still held captive to the dark, evil ruler. So this is so important that we see it on all the different levels. Let me go on with what Paul says. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one. And we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. That's now. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. (laughs) That's a picture of what? the cross and resurrection accomplished for us. Again, this is no simple transaction that we just kind of agree to and then limp along trying to live the Christian life. No, you've been made new. You've been made holy. You've been made righteous, purchased with the blood of Jesus. You've been freed from all the evil forces because you now not only have the Holy Spirit of God himself, you've been given all authority in the name of Jesus to go and to live victoriously and to share that with others. Wow, we don't have to have fear. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Do we live like it? That's our challenge. Let's watch this brief summary video now of all that Jesus accomplished. Okay? And this is where the story of Jesus picks up. He said he was here to rescue the world and take it back from the rebels. 
which rebels, the human ones or the spiritual ones? Exactly. For Jesus, it was all connected. When he marched into Jerusalem for Passover, he was announcing the ultimate exodus. He was there to confront and overcome all rebel powers and authorities, and he did it by giving up his life. So this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, triumphing over them by the cross. Yes, Jesus condemned our evil by allowing the rebels to unleash all their hate and evil on him. But then he overcame it with the power of his love and resurrection life. And then Jesus told his followers that all authority in heaven and earth now belongs to him. Yeah, the ultimate human and divine partner. This is really good news. Yeah, and it's why the apostles started inviting everyone to give their allegiance to the risen Jesus, to discover freedom and a new way to be human. Now, while Jesus gained a decisive victory over the rebel powers, he didn't destroy them. They're still around causing problems. Yes, and in fact, they are the problem. The apostles said that humanity's real enemy is never another human. Rather, it's the spiritual powers that animate our cultural idols that inspire hatred, division, and violence. Ah, so when I see people hurting other people, behind it is the divine counsel gone rogue. How do you deal with this kind of enemy? How do you deal? You have to come back next week to find out. I know. We told you it's going to be good. You don't want to miss any. So we talk next week about that. But may I also encourage you to enroll in the School of Kingdom Ministry. It's totally worth it to saturate yourself in being able to see the biblical picture, to know really what Jesus has done. And so um, I put in a plug there for the School of Kingdom Ministry. But how do we respond just today? to what I've shared. I want to say two things here. You know, Jesus is pretty clear. In that same passage in Luke 10, he had you know, sent out the, uh, his disciples. They, he'd given them authority, and they come back and they go, Jesus, all the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus goes, oh yeah, I saw Satan fall like heaven, uh, fall like lightning from heaven. And he goes, but I don't want you to rejoice in that. He goes, he's saying, I don't want you to be a crazy charismatic who's like, whoa, we got power over demons. Let's go. It's like, no, no, no. That's not what you rejoice in. Yeah, you do have power over demons. He said, but this is what I want you to rejoice in, that you are a son and daughter of the Almighty Father who loves you, who trusts you, who empowers you, who protects you. I, I want you to put your focus there. And then I love his instructions. How do we do that? Well, it's very clear. We're going to have to abandon our need to understand. We're going to have to abandon our desire to control, to have it all figured out. We're going to have to actually become like little children with tremendous humility. This is what Jesus says, Luke 10, 21, as he finishes up that text. Then Jesus, overflowing with the Holy Spirit's anointing of joy, exclaimed, Father, Thank you, for you are Lord Supreme over heaven and earth. There is only one true God. You have hidden, did you know God hides things? You have hidden the great revelation of this authority from those who are proud, those wise in their own eyes. And you have shared it with those who humble themselves. Yes, Father, 
This is what pleases your heart in the very way you've chosen to extend your kingdom. To give to those who become like trusting children. That is hard. That's hard for us who are used to a very rational, scientific, I've got this thing understood. And Jesus is saying, don't be wise in your own eyes. Can you just humble yourself and say, maybe I don't know. Maybe I haven't seen it. Maybe I haven't understood. Become like trusting children. And then I want to leave you with this response. As you decide to humble yourself and say, okay, Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Remove the scales. You know, teach me afresh. Let's choose to worship the one true God. Now, I think most of us would say, oh, I, I do that. That's why I'm here. I'm at a worship service. Well, it's a whole lot more than singing, although singing is important, and I'll get to that in a moment. Let's worship the one true God. Let's love him with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Let's, let's show him by how we, we interact with others, how we care, what we speak, what we do, the way we conduct our life, that we're walking in union with Jesus. We really do believe we're a righteous son or daughter. None of this, oh, well, you know, I can make a few bad choices. I can do a few things. You know, God forgives. You know, all my sins are forgiven. You know, I, I'm saved. Do you know who's watching and listening to that? A whole host of evil ones. Oh, yeah. Now, I don't think they can read your mind, but they can definitely hear your voice and watch what we're doing. And that's not to scare anybody. It's just to say, oh, my goodness, why would I give worship to the gods of money and power and, and sex and whatever? There's, I could list, you know, hundreds. Now, I want you to know when we trust Jesus, when we live daily in union with him and walk with him in the spirit. And we, of course, we're not like, you see, this thing can become just as weird if all you're focused on is the spiritual. You know, then you become like crazy. You know, you, you call everything a demon. You know, you're, you walk in fear. You're, no, 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 no. It's all about living in the overlap. It's all about living your life, going to class, going to work, raising your family. All the while, what? Showing people this is who God is. This is who the Father is. He loves you. He saved you out of this. Come, join us. We worship the one true God. Now, I don't want to have any other gods before me. I don't want to give an invitation to the God of this world. I don't want to in any way. They are defeated, but they are not departed. Now, we're going to have a chance today have the opportunity to worship the one true God in two ways. We're going to share communion together, and we're actually going to sing like we usually do. But I want to make these comments about the singing because I think it's really, really important. You know, we often sing songs like, I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm, you know, and that's very biblical because the Bible tells us you're going through a tough time, rejoice. You know, it doesn't make sense, right? Except when you read the Bible and you go, oh, yeah, when the singers led the battle, they won the battle. When Paul and Silas were in prison and sang, the prison doors opened. Now, is that some mechanical thing like, okay, God, I'm going to worship you today so my problem gets better? No. 
worship of the one true God, rejoicing in the middle of the storm, announces, you know what? I know you're king. I know you've won. I know you love me. I love you. And I'm announcing to all the forces of both heaven and below that I choose to serve you. And I have no other gods before me. And I want you to know that unleashes the forces of heaven. You know, worship is so much more than just a ritual. Well, we're going to stand up here now in a few moments and we're going to go through the motions, although some of you don't even go through the motions. So, like, come on. Let's go through the motions. The angels are shocked that we're not on our faces worshiping the king who did what he did for us, who defeated the evil one and gave us a brand new life and a purpose restored to spread God's dominion all over the world. Well, we're going to have a... Time, good worship time in a moment. We're going to worship the one true God. But we also want to share communion. And again, I think in the same way that worship can just become a ritual, we go, oh, this is just symbolic. You know, this is just sacramental. I'm just celebrating that, you know, I believe Jesus died for my sins and, you know, I thank him for that. Oh, no, no, no. No, this is so much more. This is so much more. You know, Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And he said, this is how I want you to remember it. He said, you see, when you come to the communion table, you need to know I'm there. When you come to the communion table, all of heaven is watching, all of earth is watching. And I am announcing, no, I believe the sacrifice of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus, the broken body of Jesus, defeated the enemy wiped my sins out, made me new, and I am celebrating today as I take in his body and I drink his blood and I say, I am a child of the living God. So let's stand and ushers, if they need, uh, if you need to pass out, raise your hand if you didn't get a communion uh, cup and then try desperately to get it open. I know. And I will pray as we do this together. So good. Oh, Father, I'll be the first to say I don't understand this all, but I choose to humble myself. And I take this cup, the blood that was shed, not just to wipe out all of our sins, but to wipe out the enemy to redeem us, to seat us with you in heavenly places. And I take this bread, your broken body, where you absorbed all the evil of the world and rose victorious. And I say, thank you. Thank you. May your presence permeate every one of us as we take communion together to celebrate our union with the living God. And just remain standing as we move into worshiping the one true God today. His name is Jesus, and he is the King. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.